Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the You Must Be a Wildflower podcast, the place to be for those who love to travel, who have moved abroad, or those who simply would like some wildflower inspiration. Join me, Sophie G., your new international BFF, as we meet various interesting people and learn their unbelievable stories. Tune in every Tuesday for your weekly dose of wild, but beware, you might catch the travel bug. Today, we will be talking to the wonderful Tiffany Johnson, author, traveler, and survivor of the 1999 natural disaster in Switzerland. Keep on listening to hear all about her story. Happy to have you um, join me today. Yeah, so let's just get right into it and we can chat during the podcast. So would you like to introduce yourself to everybody that's listening? Thank you so much for having me, Sophie. I'm thrilled to be here. I was in Zurich last year and it's just such a beautiful place in Switzerland. (laughs) I am. Well, so my name is Tiffany Johnson and I'm from Australia. I live in Victoria. Uh, in Melbourne, and I have a husband and two children, and I live at home with my dogs while we live near the beach. I'm an author, uh, I'm a motivational keynote speaker, and I'm also a podcast host as well. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I, the reason why I was in Switzerland last year was uh, because I'm actually a survivor from the 1999 Swiss canyoning disaster. Wow. And it was the 20th anniversary of the event. It was an international memorial event, uh, which is by the canyon, which is in Windeswil. I'm not sure if you've been there. It's just near Interlaken. Mm-hmm. And um, that was amazing to be back there after so long, but I wrote a book called Brave Enough Now and it's my story of why I was in Switzerland and why why I needed to try and find myself. You know, almost, I was a lot younger back then obviously and just was on a search of self-discovery, yeah. which I think a lot of your listeners will really resonate with. And then I also talk in my book about uh, the recovery and coming home and what I learned through through all of that experience. Yeah, great. I think I can really connect with you with trying to find yourself and actually now living in Switzerland and kind of having um, that aspect was when I left to um, uh, come visit Switzerland and then move here, it was actually my way of finding myself because I was just feeling not at ease with myself and you know it was my way of finding myself so I can totally relate to you and I'd love to hear more about that so um you're a big traveler as well correct well yes but not at the moment because we're all in lockdown (laughs) (laughs) yes unfortunately I know that's it that's it I do love to see the world and experience different cultures and different places and you know we're all 
the same. We're all human. Mm-hmm. We're, we all need human connection. We all bleed the same. We all breathe the same. And I just love how traveling really opens your mind and acceptance and tolerance of others. It's a wonderful experience to really immerse yourself in different cultures. I really enjoy that. Yeah, definitely. And did you find that um, Switzerland, for some reason, for you, helped you find yourself more than any other location that you've been to? Or is there somewhere else that you've been that really helped you find yourself? You know, that's such a great question because I think we all find different pieces of ourselves in different places. Definitely. Yeah. When I first, so a little bit of background, mm-hmm. um, and I was 17 when I moved out of home. I was from a small country town in rural New South Wales in Australia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd finished high school and I had all these different opportunities for where to go to college. And I thought that I would find the thing that I was looking for within myself, I'd find it interstate. And so I moved very far away from home. And, you know, I think a lot of people feel like that when they're young, they're taking those first adult steps to work out who they are. And it wasn't that the place I lived was wrong. It was just that I needed to find who I was. And I really did feel like that there was a missing puzzle piece of me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went to university and I met a man and, you know, it was, can you remember that feeling when you first meet someone and it's like, it's like a passion and lust and you just don't, you just don't know what's so overwhelming. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) and it was that first real adult feeling Mm -hmm. that I had not experienced before. And I am getting to the, and I'm dragging on a little bit, but it's important for finding who I am in Switzerland. And I um within a week we moved in together and wow. it was a whirlwind romance it was crazy and then after after 3 months um that relationship turned very toxic and I was so far away from home still I had no idea how to get out of it and I was in that relationship for 2 years I lost every single piece of me that I had try I was trying to find and in that process I had no idea who I was anymore. I became anorexic. I went down to 40 kilos thinking that that would fix the broken relationship that it was. I had low self-esteem. I had high anxiety and we had a death in our family and I was finally allowed, can I say that in inverted commas, you can't see me, but Mm. you know, I was, it was a very controlling and difficult relationship and I was finally allowed to go home and I went home and I saw myself looking in the mirror of my childhood bedroom and I didn't recognize that girl. I, it was, it was horrible. I was bones sticking out of me in places. I didn't even know I had bones. And I realized I really had to get out. I felt like I'd let every single person down that I'd ever loved in my family, my friends growing up. I just couldn't believe that I had allowed me to turn into whatever I was at that point. And so when I was searching for who I was, I was, I felt like I was at ground zero, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, went back home to what was our happy, unhappy home. And I found him in bed with two other women, which was a blessing because it meant that I could finally leave. Wow. And it gave me the empowerment that I needed. I know. And they're my friends. How's that? Oh, <laughs> to make it even better. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And so I went, over, I went and lived on a tropical island and um, I was walking home from work one night and I still were consumed with shame and I didn't trust anyone. I had 
so much mental health stuff going on, but I was still really young. I was only 21. And I, um, I was walking home from work one night and two men started following me and I was nearly raped. And the next day I got away and it was quite horrific. Um, but the next day the phone called and I heard breathing down the end of the line and it was actually my ex-boyfriend had found me. And I knew that breath, you know, before I even took that phone call. Wow. And mm. I was terrified of staying on the island, but I also was terrified of what else, what other option did I have? And I think when you're feeling so depleted in who you are, you make really bad choices. I know I did. <laughs> made really bad choices. <laughs> but anyway, and so he actually said to me, I'm going back overseas. He was from the UK. And I said, do you want to book a ticket for two? Because I thought it was better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. And so I went overseas with him. And, you know, that same old wheel just started to turn again and again. And I found a letter um, I was going through my bag and this letter dropped off the bench and I was like, what is this? And it smelt of disgusting, cheap perfume and it was covered in this <laughs> little drawn love hearts. And I was like, oh, my God, what is in this letter? It was addressed to him. And I opened the letter and all these photos of this naked woman fell out and, um, you know, because this was a long time ago, mm. people printed photos back yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> there was no texting photos, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. There weren't even any mobile phone, or maybe yeah, might have had a mobile phone or a car phone. Anyway, and um, yeah, funny. And so you know, I got this letter, and he was seeing a married woman back in Australia, and she was coming back over to meet him, and she, they were trying to get rid of me, and it was just, oh, it was just bad, 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 bad. So I left. I finally left once and for all for good, but. You know, with all the promises of love and we're going to get married and la, 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 la. And I really did believe that, you know, that he, if, if he could have gone back to the man that I'd met when I first met him and have that euphoric feeling that we'd originally had together, then maybe I would have married him. And I kept holding on to that hope that this was going to be it and that all, I was going to find all these other pieces of me in this love. But it was toxic, bad, heated love, and it just was never going to work. Mm -hmm. But in all of that, he had um, agreed to, we'd agreed to, to put money together and he'd actually stolen all my money. So <gasps> when I left, I had you know, I literally walked out with my backpack on my back on the other side of the world, wow. completely depleted with nothing and thought, what the hell am I going to do now? Mm -hmm. So I made a phone call back home and I still had never told my parents about just how bad this relationship was. Okay. And my mum said, we well, kind of gone to the other side of the world and had a terrible time. That's not what you should be doing. You should be out there with people your own age and Go and have fun. <laughs> See the world. <laughs> and um, and so I booked a Kentucky tour, which is a bus tour for people between ages of 18 and 35, and it's like a speed dating of countries. You go two days in France, two days in Spain, two days in Italy, which then took me to Switzerland. Wow. Okay. And, you know, I got on that tour and I... <laughs> I didn't have the right paperwork. I didn't have the right stuff that I needed for the trip. I was... It was a whirlwind of craziness and fast decisions and the whole story of all of that even coming together. These mountains and the Alps in Switzerland are so magnificent. I was, I was absolutely in awe of these mountains and I stood there 
And I thought if these mountains can stand the test of time, if they can withstand dinosaurs, if they can withstand blizzards and floods and God knows what else and mankind and everything else that goes with it, then I can do this thing called life too. Mm -hmm. I can be me. And it was the first time I fully had found who I was and it was liberating. So Switzerland is very, very special to me. Yes, definitely. Mm. And so when you were in Switzerland, although you had this really good thing about finding yourself, you also experienced a little bit of disaster at the same time. Yeah. So could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So that night after I'd seen snow and was so excited and Yes. And I felt so alive. You know that feeling when you mm-hmm. you finally are like, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was so exciting. I didn't drink any alcohol. I didn't need to be someone different. I felt accepted. I felt loved. I had friends that I needed to have around me that would love me and they did love me and honour me and we loved each other. And I think travel really brings out the best in everybody or the worst, depends, but you create different connections and different bonds with people when you're travelling as opposed to just, I don't know, whether it's school or university or in work or everyday life. It just There's something about travel and immersing yourself in a culture or a place and experiencing those new experiences that really connects you in a newfound way. And I really felt that with my friends that I'd made. And this was amazing because I hadn't felt like that in years, years and years and years and years and years. So the next day we were going canyoning and canyoning is, um, I, it's a adventure sport like mm-hmm. paragliding or, uh, it, like whitewater rafting. And a lot of the people actually thought we were going canoeing. It's not canoeing. <laughs> it's yeah. And you make your way down through, you probably know what it is. So I don't know if you've done it, but people. I've never done it. No, no don't, don't, don't do it. <laughs> I'm not such a fan of it anymore. Um, So you make your way down through the canyon and there's water going down through and you're wearing a helmet and a full Mm -hmm. um, wetsuit and a life vest and you use harnesses and ropes and you jump and slide and climb and you make your way down to the bottom of the canyon through the water. And it's meant to be really fun and it was really fun until it got to the bad bit. So, you know, we were... (sighs) We were so excited. We were pumped. We were full of adrenaline. Most people were, you know, in their 20s and they were living their best life. They were being adventurous. They were doing something different and new. And when we were getting ready at the company that was taking us canyoning, I've got really curly blonde hair and when it rains, my hair turns into like a golden poodle. (laughs) It's like springs and goes woof. I hear you. I have curly hair too. Right. So you know what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I had the curliest of curliest puffy poodle hair that day. And <laughs> and I just was like, hey, it's going to rain. No, nah, it's not going to rain. No, it's won't rain. I'm like, it is going to rain. My hair is a human barometer. I'm telling you it's going to rain. But what I didn't realize was that where it was raining, which was at the top of the mountain, was at the beginning of the canyon. And, you know, those Alps, are they're really high. They're really high. And Mm -hmm. so when we got up to where the canyon is, as we'd been getting ready down below, I 
I had this feeling in my stomach of uneasiness, a foreboding feeling, a feeling that something bad was going to happen. My stomach was doing these crazy somersaults and I just had this sixth sense, this intuition that there was immense danger coming. I had no idea what that meant and I kind of ignored it. The girl that was standing next to me, I didn't know her, and she um, was married and she had a wedding ring on and she was putting a Band-Aid, like a sticky plaster when you cut yourself, over her wedding rings and her friend said to her, and I remember this so clearly, I was standing there looking at her and her friend said, why are you putting a Band-Aid over your wedding rings? And she said, the married girl said, well, if anything happens, I just want people to know that I was married. Wow. And, I remember, and I remember looking at her going, do you feel the same as I do? Do you feel this feeling of something's not right? She actually has never, ever been found. Wow. Yeah, she's at the bottom of the lake somewhere under a boulder, I don't know. Yeah, so that, that really sticks with me, that, because I think there were a few people that might have felt that way and we just didn't talk about it. So when we got up to the top of the mountain, it was dark. It was really, really dark. It was almost like it was nighttime. It was so dark. And you could smell the rain in the air. And our guide said to us, we're not 100% sure whether or not we should go in today. And we trusted them and we were like, okay, no, you know what, whatever that is that they said, there's plenty of exit points with two guides in our group. There's plenty of exit points on the way. And if we need to get out, we can. We're like, okay, great. No problem. And so we went down the first slide and, you know, the water is so amazing for people who have never been to Switzerland. Tell everyone how amazing that water is. It's just like the most, yeah. it's incredible, isn't it? So, yeah, you're right. It's so blue <laughs> and it's like crystal clear and you can pick it up in your hands. It's like diamonds. It's just, I'd never seen anything like it. The water was, oh, blew my mind. And I think everyone felt the same way. It was this really beautiful, beautiful, special place. And um, I felt like I was in the Garden of Eden and it was so much fun and everyone was having an amazing, amazing time. And then we got about halfway down the canyon and I'd noticed that the water had changed from that amazing, beautiful crystal clear water to a really murky, muddy brown, like the dams back home on our farm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a girl from the country, I knew about floods and droughts and I understood weather patterns, but I didn't feel like I really understood weather patterns on the other side of the world because it really, I felt when I was in the Northern Hemisphere that everything was upside down and all around and inside out and my sense of direction had gone out the window. And I stood there and I said to my friend, why is the water rising? It had taken a matter of moments from it to go from my ankle to my knee. And she said, I don't know. And the guide said to us, we need to move quickly. We need someone to take the next jump. And so I took that jump and I stood on the edge. And I'm normally a person that like takes a while to go for a swim or, you know, I stand yeah, yeah. there and put my toes in the water and then I walk out again and I'm in and out in it. A bit like a penguin. Penguins do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, my. No. And so anyway, but this time I did not falter. I stood there and I just took a massive leap. It was a four metre drop. It was a big jump down into a uh-huh. water hole and you had to make sure you got into the right part of the water hole because otherwise you'd break your legs because it wasn't deep enough. And as I entered that water, the sound, God, it was like thunder. It was so loud. It was deafening. And as I came up because of my life vest that I had on, the guide that was in the water hole waiting for me 
reached his hand out and I reached over to grab him but our hands slipped past each other and as I was sucked under the water and it was in that moment that a giant wall of water, which was a flash flood, came down hitting all of my friends and out of the 12 of us in our group, only three survived. Wow. Yeah. I'm so so sorry that you went through that. That is absolutely crazy. Yeah, it really was. And to have all those feelings and to have that sense that something was wrong, yeah, it's 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 um definitely it's definitely something. So when I went under the water, uh, I think a lot of people would have. I mean, I don't know. I can't say what any what happened to anybody else, but for me, I heard my father's voice, and that was also very unusual. But I heard him saying to me. If ever you get caught in floodwaters, just relax and stay calm. We had so many floods on our farm. Mm-hmm. And he always said, floodwater is stronger than all of us. Water is stronger than all of us. You can never, ever fight it. If you ever get caught in floodwaters, just relax and stay calm. And so I actually surrendered my body and just let go. I just let go of everything. I didn't think about fighting it. I didn't. Th- I knew I was in trouble. I knew that I was in some sort of current or I just didn't understand. I didn't know at that point in time what had actually happened, but I knew that I was in a part of the canyon that was not good. And I knew that it wasn't supposed to be like this. So I didn't think about anything. I just, just let my body go, almost like being in a really deep meditation. Mm -hmm. And I just kept trying to come up for snippets of air when I could. And then Eventually, I was pushed up into a giant boulder by the force of a huge log which had crushed on my ribs and damaged my pancreas. And when I was pushed up against that boulder, I was actually facing up back up towards the canyon. And I looked over to my right and the water was lapping at my chin and there was giant logs and debris flowing down like fast, really fast. And I saw my friends' bodies floating lifelessly over the rapids and I knew instantly that they were dead. And then wow. I looked over to my left and I saw that bank of that Garden of Eden, but it was just too far away and I knew that I could never make it. And in that moment, I saw snapshots of my life. It was the most intense moment And I saw myself as a child, I'd been very badly bullied when I was really little at school. And I saw those moments in the playground when kids had pinned me down and were measuring me with different rulers and sticks because I thought I was bigger than everyone and different to everyone. And then I saw me as a teenager being, feeling like I wasn't part of the cool group or I didn't belong. I was different to everybody else. And then I saw me in that relationship with that horrendous boyfriend that had treated me so badly. And then I saw an image of me with my friends, my new friends, my friends from my trip and the connection and the love and the acceptance that I had had with them. And I didn't ever want to be that girl again that I'd been before. I didn't want people to treat me badly. I didn't want to be bullied. I didn't want to feel like I didn't belong. I wanted to be the empowered woman that I had been just the day before. And I thought if I stayed by the boulder, another log or another boulder, whole boulders were being pushed down the canyon. And I thought, if I stay here, I'm going to get crushed and I will die being having been that girl. And I don't want that. I want 
the me, the real me, all of me, the broken pieces of me, the fixed pieces of me. And so I wiggled from the log and I was sucked under again and I let go of the boulder. I was pulled under again and I kept coming up for snippets of air and I still was just trying to let go and just concentrate on getting air when I could. And then it came to a point when I was like, I need air and I cannot hold on it any longer. And in that moment, I prayed and I prayed to God and I prayed to my aunt that had died all those years before when I stood in that mirror and looked at myself and I said, dear God, dear Annie, die, don't let me die because if I die, mum won't cope, <laughs> which I still think is so funny because I'm like even in, even in the moment when I think I yeah. am actually like I really am about to die, I'm thinking of other people. Yeah. And my mother, who I just adore. And so in that moment, it was crazy because it felt like, I don't know if it was an angel or God or a giant wave, but my entire body shot up out of the water and my whole torso was up out of the water. And I was above the biggest waterfall you've ever seen. I've actually got a photo of it on my website. And I actually swore at that point in time. And because there was nothing I could do, I knew I was destined to go over this waterfall and it was like a sensation of free fall flight, like falling out of a plane. And Mm -hmm. when I came up for air again, I was in this tiny little alcove next to the waterfall and it was crystal clear, there was no rapids and I tried to make my way to the edge but I was so exhausted and my legs wouldn't work and my so I tried to use my arms to try and get to the edge and then I grabbed onto the grass but it was so wet from all the rain that I actually kept slipping through my fingers and I just couldn't get out. And that was probably yeah. the first time that I felt scared because mm-hmm. I thought the, if the water comes and gets me again, I've got nothing left. There's no way I'll survive. And a pair of feet arrived at my eyes and he grabbed onto my life vest and went to pull me up but there was actually a giant log or branch stuck across my chest through my life vest from one arm to the other and so I had to wiggle back into the water to try and yank it out and then I got it out and then he pulled me up onto the edge and when I looked up through the mud and crap that was in my eyes it was my friend who had also survived wow yeah I actually still have a piece of Switzerland in my wrist one of the cuts that I got from the accident they, they, there's a huge big long story about all my injuries but um, they never never got dealt with and so I actually have a piece of the canyon in me that's there all the time. Right on your wrist. On my wrist, yeah. Mm. Crazy. Mm. This is unbelievable. Mm. And, you know, the story is I was never expecting to Talk to somebody that's been through such uh, inspiring but scary story at the same time. Mm, it is scary. It, it's it's um, it's very powerful. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And how did you find yourself after the whole natural disaster? How did you feel as a person, or how could I say? Did you feel like you were changed? Were you? Mm, Massively changed. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't go through something so traumatic without having change. When, so I got taken to hospital. I was one of six people that were taken to hospital. There were 21 people died that day. Five of them were my friends. 
mm. and uh, three were guides and the rest were participants. We were taken to hospital and, you know, we were in shock and I knew that I knew that people had had died. I'd seen them. And when we first, as we climbed out of the out of the canyon, I'll backtrack for a second. We made our way up the side of the mountain. I became like a soldier in combat. I was adrenaline fueled, ready to get the hell out of there. And I climbed up the side of the mountain, and it was like a mudslide. And I was hanging onto trees and anything else I could find to pull myself up. I actually had a broken leg. My my bone was broken. My tibia was broken, split in half from my ankle to my knee. Still don't know wow. how I did that. And and I had all my crushed ribs and multiple different injuries. And when we got to the top, the person that had led us up there, there'd been someone had sort of come out of the blue. I don't even know where they came from. And he's like, follow me. And so we followed him up to the top of the road. And when when I finally got to the top of the road where we were safe, we were finally safe because I knew that the water wouldn't rise any further. He looked at me and it was the guide that was in the water hole with me who tried to grab my hand and he just burst into tears and he said, you're the one I couldn't hang on to. Wow. And then we made our way down the road and we had come to a rescue attempt. It was There were people everywhere and there were there was media everywhere. There was helicopters, people were being wrenched up out of the canyon you know, it felt like a zombie. And then being in the hospital, we kept hearing helicopters coming and coming and coming. And we kept waiting, thinking, well, there must be some other survivors. Surely mm-hmm. there's some other survivors. But no one ever came. And it took me a really long time to be able to hear helicopters. I used to be really scared of helicopters. Years. I reckon it took me a good 15 years to overcome listening to helicopters. And I just felt like no one could ever understand. I think you... No. I was really angry, so, so angry when I got home and I had to come home because my injuries were so bad, but they were undiagnosed. So I was walking around with a broken leg, four broken ribs, completely dislocated <gasps> jaw, soft tissue damage to both of my legs and damaged pancreas, which meant that my blood sugar levels were always out of control from the trauma to my body and the damage from the log hitting me in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And I just thought how that's when the survivor's guilt really hits you when you've been through something like that, um, that you wonder why were you saved? Why did you survive? When yeah. I got on the plane in London, we we'd actually were hold, like held hostages for a week because it was now a crime scene. We all had to do police interviews. I could barely yeah. move. I could barely talk. And we got a bus back to Bern and then we flew over to London and then I caught a plane home knowing full well that I needed support from my family. There was nowhere else I could possibly go. And I thought at that point in time I would rather die than go through this. And I think, you know, from having that massive extreme high of feeling liberated and seeing the snow and loving myself and all of myself and all the broken pieces of myself, I was now completely and utterly shattered woman. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how can anyone ever understand how I feel, what I've seen? And it took a very long time for me to to really open up and share my story. I'm mm. sure. Yeah. But I met this amazing man later on and I had a long time of being in bed and not 
not moving because I didn't want to speak to anybody. Mm-hmm. And my friend, my friend from high, from primary school, when we were four, we were friends. She came over and we used to hang out all the time. Mm-hmm. She came over and I was in bed and she pulled the curtains open and she pulled the covers back. She said, get out of bed. You stink. Go and have a shower. <laughs> coming out with me. And I'm like, go away. Pulled the covers back up again. She's like, no, go and have a shower. For God's sake, wash your hair, brush your teeth, you're revolting. So I got up miserably and had a shower and, and she took me out. She said, I'm going to get you a job. And she actually got me a job where I met my husband. And wow. he was so amazing. I had horrendous PTSD by this stage. It's nearly 12 months later and I just... I still couldn't bring myself to talk about it. I just still kept thinking, how can anyone understand what I've gone through? There's no one that understands. No. And I knew that I knew I was getting worse because I couldn't concentrate on anything. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's ever gone through any form of trauma, I mean, trauma is trauma is trauma. There's no hierarchy of trauma. Just because I've been through a flash flood doesn't mean that someone who's lost a loved one or seen someone suffer from cancer or had a car accident. Trauma is trauma. It still has the same effect on our bodies. Yeah, definitely. And so I couldn't concentrate on work. I was at work and the phone would ring, but then I couldn't work out if I needed to send an email or go make a cup of tea or deal with whatever the phone call was. I was scattered. I was so scattered. And I realized I couldn't I realized I needed help. I couldn't stop the nightmares. I couldn't stop the flashbacks. I was really, really in a bad way and started dating this guy. And I said to him, Look, I need to go and get help. And I found a center that specializes in trauma victims and it was at one of Sydney's largest um, hospitals and it was the post-traumatic stress disorder clinic within that hospital and I had to catch a train out there it was nearly an hour's train ride and he said I'll come with you okay and I was in there he came with me he said on the train and I was in there for three hours with that first that first session Mm -hmm. I went I saw them for for months and months I was there for a very long time And he sat in a cafe, did some work or read a book. I don't even know what he did. He did something and he waited for me for three hours and then he put me back on the train and then he got me home and he made sure I was okay and then he went home. And I thought, wow. (laughs) Yeah, what a sweetheart. (laughs) Yeah. Is this real? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And with everything else that was going on in my life. Um, he never once, as your question originally was, you know, did you feel different? And he never once tried to say, I understand. He just was there and that yeah. made a huge difference. He just was, he just would hold my hand and listen or, you know, never tried to give me advice or he just was there. He just was there. Perfect. Wow. And so he was in a sense, one of your almost like an angel to you, you know, like yeah. a, a guardian angel. <laughs> <laughs> and do you guys, um, do you guys travel together now? Yes, we do. So after that, I didn't really want to go anywhere for a while. I mean, we've, yeah, we've been I'm to, sure. Yeah. So it's 21 years this year since the accident, but we have been together for 20 years and which makes me feel very old. <laughs> Oh, stop. <laughs> uh, and for our, we, we decided once we got married, I didn't want to travel anywhere afterwards. So I really just needed to 
just be. I just needed to be in a space yep. and try and move forward with my life in some way. And that didn't revolve around traveling for me. And uh, once we got married, we then decided we'd go to Cambodia. And that was amazing. I'd never been to a third world country quite like it. Mm-hmm. And and then we fell pregnant with my daughter. And so we didn't travel for a while with her. And we went to Fiji on mm-hmm. a family holiday and she got really, really sick. And then it kind of changes your perspective on how you're going to travel because traveling with kids is like a whole new world. Oh, yeah, it's definitely. And then we went to, where do we go? He does a lot of travel for work anyway, so he's always jet setting everywhere. And oh, we went to New York for our 10th wedding anniversary on our own. Oh, tell you what, <laughs> if ever you get married <laughs> and you have kids, you have to do something like that because that was amazing. And we've done a lot of travel around Australia, a lot of, a lot of travel around Australia. It's just the most amazing, amazing place. We've gone to the Red Centre. We've gone to Indigenous spaces. We've been up north. We've seen the Daintree and the Barrier Reef and we've seen up and around Broome and the Pearl Farms and all the way down in the bottom of WA where it's like an ancient rainforest and Tasmania. And so we're so lucky in this country. We can we have so much variety and amazing mm-hmm. places to go. And we've been, I've been to the snow many times since, <laughs> since Switzerland. So and then last year we took our children. So my daughter's now 15 and my son is 12 and we took them to Europe for we were away for six weeks or something so and that that was amazing that was a gift to be able to do that to be there in Saxton uh, which is just up from Windersville and show them this place that had changed me forever and for them to experience something so different to back home it really opened their eyes and my daughter has got the travel bug. When I finish oh. high school, I'm going to go and live in Paris. And when I go here, when I go there. And so, oh. so we were actually planning to come back again this year, but obviously with COVID, um, you know, we couldn't. Mm-hmm. So all of that, my, I was coming back over because my book is being released in Switzerland, in Swiss German, I'm, which is so exciting. Really? Yes, it is. So, amazing. Yeah, really, really amazing. So I'm not sure when that will be out now though because of everything that's happened in our world. But yeah, it's, um, it's such a blessing to have had that experience and to share that experience with my family and with my children when they've heard the story and they know how it's impacted on my life, you know. Definitely. Even just having diabetes is, I'm on an insulin pump, so, you know, it's been buzzing the whole time I've been talking to you. It's um, it's manageable, but, you know, every single piece of food that I eat, I have to work out mathematical calculations and how much insulin I need and how's that going to affect my body, how much stress do I have. So it's a constant it's constant, constant, constant. You don't get a holiday from it ever. You're constantly thinking about staying alive. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Mm. And um, is your book uh, available in English r- right now? Yes, it is. It okay. Is, it would is. you would you remind everybody the name of your book and also where they can get it? Sure. It's called Brave Enough Now. 
an inspirational mm-hmm. story of self-discovery, survival and hope. And it is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you can buy books or on my website, tiffanyjohnson.com.au. And I've also got my website, oh, website, I've also got my podcast on my website. Which yes, is, yes. Yeah, so that's called When We Are Brave. And what I really want to do or what I am doing, which is such mm-hmm. oh, it's so exciting, is I'm empowering people to believe in themselves and to know that their authentic self is such value because, you know, when you believe in yourself, it really spreads like wildfire for others to join in and you feel ignited and invigorated to live your best and bravest life. And every single thing that we do in our life is being brave. You starting your podcast is brave. You moving to Switzerland Mm -hmm. is brave. You know, taking those steps, listening to, listening to your intuition, being your authentic self and being who you really are, like in that moment when I was shoved up against that boulder, facing death in the face, and I knew that I needed to be my authentic self. So if I can share my story to help empower others to live as their authentic selves, then that is such a gift and a blessing and I'm so, so excited to be able to do that for people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. I'm so, so happy that I got the chance to talk to you because your story is like, all I can think right now is, wow, wow, I'm speechless with everything that you've told me today. And it's very, very, very inspiring. Oh, so thank you. Thank you so, so much for sharing that with everyone and allowing me to talk to you about it that I am really grateful for that. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure, Sophie. And also, if if ever you're back uh, heading over towards Interlaken, because it's not that far from where you are, mm-hmm. there is a memorial space at the canyon. So in Windersville, you head up towards the canyon. Everyone knows where it is. And you know that that, mm-hmm. that village people there, this is so amazing. Every single week, there's a group of volunteers who go up there and they go to the memorial site and they clean it off and they sweep the pavement and there's stones everywhere that uh, to honour all of the people that died. There's a huge big stone there with everyone's names in it. There's a big honour board and people write letters and there's all sorts of things on there. That There's thongs and flags and teddy bears and all sorts of stuff and that's where the memorial event was held last year. So if anyone is ever in that space and it's right next to the canyon, in the Saxton Bark Gorge. So if anyone ever goes around that place, it's definitely worth checking out because it's a really beautiful, special place. I'm definitely going, definitely going. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. That's very special. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. Well, this will be the end of the podcast. So again, thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much to Tiffany for joining me today and make sure you go check out her book, website and her own podcast. All will be linked down below. So that's all for today. We will see you next Tuesday. Lots of love and big hugs. Your host, Sophie G.